Scripture is Isaiah chapter 35. It's entitled, Joy of the Redeemed. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmen and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. There will, there will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. There, were, there then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast they will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. How many of you enjoyed that snow falling down this morning? How many of you thought it was cold and hard and your boots weren't ready, your coats weren't ready? Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah, yeah. There's always a couple of us, right? <laughs> What's that? It's December in Ontario, I know. And it's the, it is, it's uh, kind of, but you know, it's, it's funny though, because you look out the window and some of us are thinking, oh no, you know, I got to scrape my car. And some of us are going, oh, this is like the dream, right? The Canadian dream. It's, it's, all, it's all those, the movies that we watch and everything tells us this is what it's all about, right? Snow in December. Speaking of, you know, that beautiful dream, I'm going to do a quick poll here. Put your hand up if you like watching Christmas movies. Oh, okay. Now put your hand up if you're too embarrassed to proclaim in public <laughs> that you like Christmas movies, so you just didn't put your hand up the first time. <laughs> and then, of course, if you're too embarrassed to actually admit that you were too embarrassed, and I could keep going. My wife, Monica, and my youngest daughter love watching Christmas movies. I, on the other hand, enjoy cuddling on the couch watching a movie with the people that I love, so I tolerate Christmas movies for the greater good. 
Of course, the greater good is actually my own greater good. Um, now, of course, <laughs> I say that jokingly, but if I'm being honest with myself, I kind of enjoy them too. You know, perhaps it's my own self-loathing and, and penchant for self-inflicted suffering, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Seriously, though, even for those like me who have a low tolerance for cheesiness, there is something about a cheesy Christmas movie that is alluring and spellbinding, even for the grumpiest, uh, most pessimistic of us all. It's like a tractor beamer, like a giant magnet that catches you and pulls you in. What is that? What is that about these terribly written, terribly produced, terribly acted movies that pulls us in? Ah, we'll always have a happy ending. That's a big piece. I think even in the, sh- the cheesiness and the shallowness of the facade, it resonates with deep longings that is hardwired into the very core of our humanity. It's warmth amongst the cold, light amongst the dark, companionship of loving friends and family amidst the loneliness, magic and wonder amongst, amidst doubt and hard-heartedness, happy endings amongst the realities of the hard stuff of life, The longing and beauty of restored relationships. I mean, everyone's happy and warm. The grumpy person ends up being kind-hearted. Eyes are open to see for the first time the love of their life who was there right before them the whole time and just happens to be a prince or a princess. Forgotten children are reunited with their family, but not until going all three stooges on some robbers. You know, the classics. And of course, you know, John McCain... Blowing up some bad guys, that's part, that's part of it too, right? I knew if I just said John McCain, somebody would go, Die Hard is a Christmas movie! It's like every year since the movie came out, there's an argument about whether or not it's a Christmas movie. No matter what shenanigans occur in these movies, eventually all of the conflict and the hopelessness and the catastrophe, they find release and resolve, and by the end, the main characters finally arrive It's not just a happy ending. They arrive in a place that feels like home. They are all about home. And the warmth and the welcome of home is something that we all long for. It is a promise, the promise that the cheesy Christmas movies is that we can all experience that feeling of home. Well, you know, at least for as long as the theme song plays out. (laughs) during the credits. And then we remember that it was all fake. In many ways, the poetry of Isaiah the prophet, which Mary Ellen wrote for us, read for us, she she didn't write it. She is a brilliant, smart woman, but we can't credit her with that. It's like an ancient Christmas movie. Obviously, it's much, much more than that. Don't think I'm belittling it. But it's kind of like an ancient Christmas movie that offers this hopeful promise of a time when the hearers would be released from their conflict and their catastrophe and that they would find the joy of home. Uh, God, as we look more into Isaiah, uh, we are here because we long for you. Speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Um, We want to know you deeper, and so we open ourselves to you. Now, as we've talked about previously in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the Hebrew scriptures that tell us the story of God's people, the Israelites. 
The book of Isaiah is in this section, and it's written about two exiles. And uh, Parsa, if we can have that map, please. Now, I'm not sure if you can see the map. You don't need to read the words. Uh, the first exile, which the Israelites, ha- which happened, and it's the purple lines, if you can see them. The first exile is when a people called the Assyrians, and I'm trying to, I got to do this, like, like a weatherman, I got to try to do it backwards, backwards in my head. So the Syrians came down and uh, took away the, um, the northern tribes. So Israel was t- essentially two different nations at this point. The northern tribes of Israel, Assyria came down and took them off into captivity. And they never came back. That was it for them. And then about 150 to 200 years later, the green lines happened. And this when a people called the Babylonians, they came, they went up the Euphrates River and then down, and they took the southern tribe that was called Judah. Uh, they took God's people, uh, taking many of them into captivity, up north and then back down the Euphrates River. Now, a couple weeks ago, I told you that generally the book of Isaiah in chapters 1 through 39 are about that first exile of the Assyrians. And chapters 40 to 66 are about that second exile. Uh, funny. Second exile. And the return back to Jerusalem, the capital city in the center of their worship in the temple. But I also said there were a few exceptions to this. And of course, our chapter today happens to be, along with chapter 35, the one before it, happens to be one of those exceptions. It's in the section about the first exile, but it's actually about that second exile. Now, why this matters for us to enter into the beauty of this passage is actually that big space between Babylonia and Jerusalem. Do you see that right in the middle of that big arrow? Or it's not an arrow like a hill, that is the Arabian Desert. The Arabian Desert was an impassable wasteland. It is a wilderness of burning hot sand and sun, no water, no shelter, no vegetation or food. It is dangerous, has dangerous wild animals. It is a place of chaos and destruction. This is why on the map there are no lines that go through the middle. The Babylonians didn't lose their compasses. That is the way to get to Judah. You can't go through it. And there's a kid's song, right? You can't go through it. You got to go over it. That's why they went, they took four month, 100 or 1500 kilometer route north and back down the Euphrates River in order to capture them and then another four months back. So picture yourself though. So you are a Jew who's been forced to leave your home the place of your family, the place where you worship your God, the place that God promised to your ancestors, this is yours forever. People have come and are forcing you to take out of there. They force you to walk this four-month journey with your families to a place that is not your home. It is not your people. It is not your language. It is not your customs. There is nothing familiar about it. And you are forced to live there isolated with a very small remnant of your people for about 70 years. And all this while you are longing for your people and your city and the temple where you believe that God lives and God is fully worshipped. 
And you know in this space that if you ever were to escape, you couldn't flee into the Arabian desert because you would surely die from the harsh and deadly environment. So if you were ever to be freed, you'd have to do this long and grueling four-month journey the long way around. Even if you were freed from captivity, there will be major barriers impeding you on your journey home. And then along comes Isaiah. And Isaiah is a man that they, the Jews knew. It's one who spoke with the authority of God's voice. And they, Isaiah says this to you. The desert and the parched land will be glad. That Arabian desert wilderness will rejoice and will blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst and bloom. It will rejoice greatly and it will shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon were known for the splendor of their forests and their woods. This would be kind of like saying the glory of British Columbia's old growth forests or the lush forests of lakes and lakes of Muskoka, or the beauty of Cape Breton Island, will be there where there used to be desert. And they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of God. Continues in verse 6. Water will gush forth from the wilderness, streams in the desert. This burning sand will become a pool, and thirsty ground bubbling springs. In haunts where jackals once lay, and grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be a way for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, no, nor any ravenous beast there will be found there. Only the redeemed will walk there. Isn't that beautiful? Can you picture what hope this would have inspired to these folk who were separated from everything that they knew and they loved? Not only will you get to go home, but instead of going the long way around, I'm going to make a shortcut for you through the impassable and deadly desert by springing up all of the beauty and the refreshment and the wonder that can be found in nature. There will be no wild beasts to worry about, and I'm going to clear you a path straight through it. I'm going to make a highway that is for you to walk safely through. And just in case you're thinking, well, that sounds beautiful, but I mean, we've been here a long time. We're old. We're exhausted. Many of us are blind and deaf and mute. We're too weak for a long journey. Isaiah says, don't worry. Strengthen those feeble hands, steady knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. I love that in, in the original language in Hebrew, the word joy actually isn't there. It just says the mute tongue will shout. It doesn't say will shout for joy. The mute tongue will shout. I mean, a mute tongue, being able, someone who's been mute, being able to shout, that's enough reason for joy. He didn't need to say joy. Those whose voices are silenced or cut off will finally be heard. And not in a whisper, but in a shout. 
Where the barriers and hardships that have exiled you far from home seem impossible to overcome or surpass, God is making a way. God is bringing healing and strength and courage and nourishment. God is bringing beauty. And you will finally come to a place that is home. No longer in chaos and desolation, God will bring you home. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion. Zion's a, a, a word that they, the Jews used for uh, Jerusalem. And it's referencing, uh, the Zion is refer- also referencing the Temple Mount. So it's not just coming to your city. It's coming to the place that God dwells with the Temple. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. For the Jews, as we see throughout the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, the concept of returning is not just an outward geographical returning to their homeland. Returning is also a spiritual return. They were exiled because of their unfaithfulness, and they were exiled from God's presence as symbolized in the, in the temple. And then their return is not just to the physical place, but their return is to God. And that return occurs not because of their faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness to them. Returning to the city of Jerusalem, Zion, returning to God, they're two sides of the same coin for the Jews. Home is the land, but even more, home is their God who gave them the land, made them a people. Home is where God's presence is with them. And for the Jews, this was in Zion where the temple was. But as we know at this point in history, God cannot be contained by any four walls. God's presence was never limited just to the temple in Jerusalem. And one of the great hopes of Christmas and the coming of Jesus is that this narrow idea that God is confined to one building and one city and one ethnic group is blown out of the water, revealing most fully that God is the God of all peoples, all nations, all languages, throughout the world and throughout all of creation. And so the hope of Advent, uh, the hope of the Advent, the coming of God in the birth of Jesus, is that a way is made in deserts of life for all people to be brought out of our exiles and into the presence of God, who is our true home. Jesus, I believe, wants us to make this connection between himself and the prophetic imagination of Isaiah. On more than one occasion, Jesus speaks about why he came. In Luke 4, he quotes Isaiah 61, saying that God has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed. Then in Luke 7, Jesus sums up his ministry with this. The blind will receive sight, or blind have received sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus isn't quoting Isaiah here, but he is speaking the same language, but no, no longer as a prophetic, hopeful imagination. Jesus is speaking of it as something that has occurred. 
It's interesting that Isaiah talks about the eyes of the blind being opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. But particularly to blindness, in the entire Old Testament, there isn't one single healing of blindness. So this is a, pro- this is a hope that is spoken all through the, or a number of times in the Old Testament in Isaiah. But it never happens until Jesus. And, and Jesus shows that he is the fulfillment of all of our hopes and our dreams by, by uh, healing those who have never been healed before, as has been hoped all through the promises of God. Eyes have opened, ears are healed, mouths, mute mouths are given a voice, and a way is made through barren places of chaos and desolation to return home. It's a beautiful hope and an answer to our deepest longings for home. But here's the thing about Isaiah's vision of this glorious home, return home for the Jewish exiles. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but it didn't happen. At least not like this. They did return, but we actually know from the book of Ezra and other sources that when the Jews did return from exile, the desert remained desert. And they took the long four-month journey up the Euphrates and back down into Judah. We know that from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that while they, when they returned, there was great joy in their return, but that it was only momentary and fleeting. That before long, the people were having fierce disagreements with one another. They had rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed, but it was a shadow of its former self, and the glory of God never returned. And those who had remembered the old temple were mourning. They were mourning the days of old and the presence of God. But here's the thing, is that reality doesn't actually change the point of Isaiah's message. Isaiah's message of a joyful way through the desert, it gave the people hope and strength through their time in exile. He reminded them that God's presence is with them. And God's presence did carry them home from exile. God's presence carried them all the way back to their homeland. And his words spoke to the deep longings within them, a longing for a deeper a longing that is deeper than the promise of any romantic Christian movie. Christian movie. Any romantic Christmas movie. I guess any romantic Christian movie too, but romantic Christmas movies. A longing which pointed them to their true hope and their true home. The one who was and is will always be faithful. The home in which God has taken away all of the boundaries and all of the barriers. Who has sprung life in desert. Who has brought uh, flourishing forests and beauty into our way home. But that way is to God. The promise of Isaiah isn't that God's people, for God's people, that life will be easy. If you think that, you need to read the rest of the book and the rest of the prophets. The promise isn't that life will be easy. The promise is that God is faithful and that God will make a way through the desert to lead us home. God will strengthen our feeble hands and our weak knees. God is 
our home, even in the midst of the harsh desert. Even when we have to take the long journey, God is our home and is with us. And Isaiah's words offer us this same hope today. And as we know, most fully fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, who we long for and hope for in the Christmas. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Run With Horses, he writes this. The essential meaning of exile is that we are where we don't want to be. We are separated from home. We are not permitted to reside in the place where we comprehend and appreciate our surroundings. We are forced to be away from that which is most congenial to us. It is an experience of dislocation. Everything is out of joint. Nothing fits together. The thousand details that have built up through the years that give us a sense of at-homeness. Gestures and customs, rituals, phrases, they are all gone. Life is ripped out of the familiar soil of generations of language and habit, weather, storytelling, rudely and unceremoniously dropped into some unfamiliar spot on earth. The place of exile may boast a higher standard of living. It may be more pleasant in its weather, but that doesn't matter. It isn't home. Now, some of us here today know this literally. Separated from a home in a country where there is different language and customs and habits, and it makes life a daily struggle. For those of you who are going to experience your first Canadian winter, there will likely be times over the next few months when the harsh Ontario climate may feel like nature itself is fighting against you, trying to get you to give up. But don't let the weather fool you. We are so happy that you are here and we hope that you find home with us. And that is one of our longings and our desires as, as a church. And I would hope as Canada in general. That you would find home here with us. And I think that all of us, even those of us who haven't experienced this dislocation literally, we know this exile inwardly and experientiality, experientially. And I think most of us can think of moments in covid where we experience that dislocation where everything is out of joint, nothing fits together, a thousand details that have built up through years that give us a sense of homeness are all gone. Peterson uh, continues, The exile experienced by the Hebrews is a dramatic instance of what we all experience simply by being alive in the world. Repeatedly, we find ourselves in circumstances where we are not at home where we are strangers in a strange land. There is so much in life that makes us feel like we are strangers in a strange land, that makes us feel like we are strangers within our own bodies, within our own minds, within our own families. We are all separated from home. And our longing for home will remain insatiable no matter how many Christmas movies we watch. Our longing for home will remain insatiable until we find ourselves in the full presence of God. But like the returning exiles, we are on a hard journey through the dust towards our home. 
Yet even in the desert where we experience chaos and dislocation and exile and accidents and job losses, decay and death, God is breaking in. God is flooding this parched land with hope and joy and strength. God is blossoming blossoming in the wilderness a promise that one day we will find a fullness of home. But that we will experience home in part on the journey. And I believe, I think there are two uh, main ways that we do can experience part of this home today. And I think one is prayer. When we set aside time in our distracted lives to approach the living God, both listening and quiet, and also crying out from the depths of our heart, God centers us. God strengthens us. He strengthens our, our weak knee, our feeble knees. Prayer can be like sowing seeds in the desert. Fruitless. What feels fruitless, like dropping seeds into a dried up field. But like a rain cloud in the distance. Do you, do you, do you get what this thing over here is? It's a rain cloud in the distance. Like a rain cloud in the distance, God hears our prayers. And like Isaiah's vision, God comes and waters the seed of our prayers, turning desolation into fruitfulness, turning fear to hope, turning silence to shouting, and, turning, and giving us strength for this long journey home. And, in, and this is the hope of Advent, of the, that the coming of Jesus, God's Son, We have one who will lead us home with singing and with everlasting joy. And I think a second place where a gift that God gives us to experience home in the now while we long for our fullest home in God is in the community of Jesus. God makes a people, a family where we can find home on the journey. A family that shares the deep longing for home as fellow exiles, but who also shares and offers to us the hope and the strength that is needed for the journey. And of course, even here in the family that Jesus has made, the effort required for building community can feel like sowing seeds in the dust. It can be hard and laborious. But again, in Jesus, God is with us. God is mysteriously working to germinate the seeds of community making us siblings in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Making us a family with whom we can find the welcome of home and where we share the living waters of the springs of life, giving strength and companionship for the journey through the wilderness, even as we long and wait for the fullness of God's unhindered presence, our true home. So let us not give up hope. For even in the desert and the growing darkness of the days of December, Christmas draws near. A reminder that Jesus is God with us and that together through prayer and in community, we will know our true home in God. Now in part, but one day in all of the glorious fullness. And we will enter with singing, everlasting joy crowning our heads, gladness and joy overtaking us, And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen.